Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John here at uh, St. Joseph uh, Catholic Church in Denver. Very excited uh, to uh, introduce a new host tonight. Um, you have not heard the uh, squeaky voice of Father Mike Rapp chiming in, which usually happens almost immediately upon me speaking. Uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Mr. Jacob Machado. Hey, thanks for having me, Father John. Uh, I'm excited, somewhat excited to be here. Somewhat excited. I gotta say, I was really excited about two days ago, but this morning I tried on Father Nathan Goble's shoes. I knew they were going to be big, but literally, yeah, they were about up to my eyeballs. So. Yeah, they're they're clown shoes uh, is really what they are. But uh, uh, so uh, Jacob Machado is a uh, brother companion, and uh, he is in uh, second theology, right? Yes. So. A year out from diaconate. Yeah, uh, I think February eighteenth next year is the is the date. I heard. I haven't heard any um, call to orders yet, but that's yeah. the date we have. Well, uh, which is crazy because um, when we started the podcast, I was where you're at uh, a year out from diaconate, and Father Mike was a deacon. So it's just kind of crazy. Yeah, uh, I was a sophomore in college. That is <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I I was trying to figure out the first time uh, we met because. Uh, Jake Machado has been a friend of uh, Father Mike and myself for a long, long time. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Caribou Coffee when I was a sophomore in high school. Really? Um, you had a you had a Bible Doman's. study, and then I was in a Bible study with Joe Doman. Joe Doman, that's right. And we got together uh, the two the two groups, thinking this would be a great idea, <laughs> and it just turned into a massive rivalry almost immediately. Yeah, it did. So, I I do remember that. That um, is crazy. I think that was probably the first time. Caribou uh, Coffee sure. off Hamden. And we had had, I mean, we met Father Matt Book pretty early in, when he was in seminary right. as a family and had him over for dinner. And then uh, he brought Father Mike over to dinner, I think, the next time we invited him. So we've been, we've known the companion since uh, since the original guys. The OGs, and, uh, yeah. I was telling, I was talking to Father Jason Wunsch uh, a couple weeks ago about remembering all the, the epiphany parties at the oh, companion's yeah. house. Oh, and, yeah. It's kind of crazy and surreal to be, you know, a seminarian member of the Companions now. Yeah, it's uh, it's so great. And um, the Machado family, if you don't know that name, they are uh, uh, they're like Catholic royalty here in Denver, especially uh, his mom Mary, who's a sweetie. Um, and uh, so they kind of know all the seminarians and all the priests. And then uh, Jake, maybe just a little bit about yourself, high school, college, kind of how you ended up in seminary. Yeah, I went to Matchbook High School here in. Denver, Colorado, and uh, we basically I uh, was was. Sorry, Kyle's <laughs> shutting the window. <laughs> we are in this really janky setup. There we go. In uh, classic, thank you, Kyle Tannehill. <laughs> I was gonna try and just push through, but it yeah. got too distracting. In in classic uh, Catholic stuff fashion, we have to find like the the jankiest, most awkward spot to record. But the uh, acoustics are better in here than anywhere else. At storage so. closet. Uh, we're Sorry, actually, we're, we're just throwing it back to the original like seven minute podcast. That's right. And, uh, we're going back to seven minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I uh, I went to Steubenville High School. Um, I think the first time I actually Matchbuff High School. Uh, sorry, Steubenville Call University Matchbuff High School. Um, I think the first time I ever kind of heard a calling to the priesthood was seriously my junior year. And uh, like so many people just said, absolutely not. Um, we'll revisit that in a few years. And uh, fast forward, 10-year journey later, um, working out here in Denver, I finally just said, you know what, Lord, it's time to give you a shot. Came to seminary, uh, had a great first year, 
touch and go two years, and then uh, kind of in the words of uh, now Father Tony Davis, he said, there's a time when you'll just fall in love. And yeah. um, that kind of hit this year um, where I kind of started really embracing the identity of a, of a seminarian and uh, to be priest and uh, fell in love with the church and fell in love with trying to, to live that mission of the Good Shepherd. And um, so that's where I'm at now. I know that's not a whole lot of backstory, but oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's going to come out in banter. I haven't decided if I'm team banter or team get to the topic yet. That's but, Well, um, either way, uh, we, uh, we, we have a, a number of young, um, really talented guys um, in the uh, Companions, really blessed by them. But uh, Jake was a, uh, uh, an immediate choice of uh, Father Mike and myself, both because um, – I like the intellectual uh, kind of social side of Jake, and then rap likes the punk side of Jake. Uh, yeah, the, so. the side of me that resists everything Father John tries to orchestrate. That that just endears you to <laughs> Father Mike more than anything else. Exactly. So, um, so yeah. So it's uh, so we we were looking at um, you know when we restarted a couple weeks ago, just kind of like want to bring on um, in the absence of uh, Father Nathan uh, one or two. Younger guys, and um, so I uh, took Jake out for a beer and uh, was expecting uh, kind of the uh, okay. What's your what's your signing bonus, and uh, what are the other benefits and things? And uh, we were very surprised and really grateful that he was uh, all about it. So we're going to kind of work him into the schedule. Uh, we're going to kind of roll out two tonight, and then uh, Father Mike will jump in with you, and we'll we'll see if we hook another guy into it. But um, you guys are uh, you're a, you're a great. Um, gift to us so thanks for uh thanks for committing to this really yeah, appreciate it i figured i i uh, strung you along so long with um letting you know if i was going to join as a discerning companion or not right two years or so so i uh figured on this one i'll just say yeah let's do it yeah well i appreciate it and uh so does father mike and uh yeah but i was talking to ryan mack one of the other seminarian companions and uh he let me in on the secret of why you guys really asked me to join uh i'm in Father John and Father Mike's classes at seminary uh, currently. Right. And I'm pretty sure this is actually just a ploy to get me to read for their classes. It is, it is, They're yeah. going to pull the topics exactly from class, and so I'll have to study for it now. Exactly. It's basically an oral exam yeah. uh, every couple of weeks <laughs> uh, on top of everything else that you have. So, um, Well, congrats to your sister, uh, Leah. Oh, gosh, she's going to kill me. First podcast, and we're already shouting her out. Well, it's so beautiful. I mean, yeah. uh, you know. My sister got married uh, this past Saturday. So very exciting. The whole family was in a uh, beautiful wedding down at Holy Name. Um, actually married an ex-seminarian. I was in with uh, for a year and a half. From and, Montana, uh, right? From Montana. Well, he's from Wyoming, but he was studying for Montana. Okay. And uh, yeah, wedding went off without a hitch. It was beautiful. I got to MC the servers. I got to MC the reception. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird. People ask me, how's it feel? And it feels right. Yeah. You know? It's weird now she's uh, Leah Kruger, right? Leah Krieger. They Krieger. pronounce it Krieger. Ah, oh, okay. So, yeah, Leah Krieger, still getting used to that. Um, we had, uh, I think there were six priests and three deacons uh, at the wedding. And, you know, my sister was a little like, oh, man, is it too many? Are we showing off how Catholic we are? And I said, oh, don't worry. I remember Steve Nepple's wedding. Yeah, right, with exactly. With like a, a 25 priest uh, entrance. <laughs> I got trumped uh, by Bishop Nicholas. <laughs> Shout out to Bishop Walker Nicholas out in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. We came back and uh, celebrated the wedding. Um, yeah, that's great, man. Um, soon enough, a year from now, it'll be the diaconate, and the next thing you know, you'll be old. You'll be 11 years a priest like Father Mike and 10 we, like me, and you'll be like, hope. dang. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so dare we hope. But yeah, the question of will you banter? What will that look like? You know, we'll let you kind of sort that out in time. Seems like so. I like the bantering. Um, so hard transition. Hard transition in honor <laughs> of uh, the uh, you know. The guys that I've been podcasting with over the years, um, they've made me more awkward. I used to be kind of rather social, socially apt, and then you just hang out with the companions long enough, and uh, and you know, Father Mike likes to explode everything uh, socially. So it's, uh, yeah, you're a night guy though. You said so. Yeah. You're, you're in, I'm I'm starting to crash. You know, this time of night, getting old now. But uh, you said you're, <laughs> you're ready you're to go. Up. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I was thinking of topics for tonight, and. Um, I had some really grandiose ideas and uh, decided first podcast, probably not good to jump full on in and uh, make a lot of mistakes uh, before before I uh, even get traction. So I'm introducing a topic that I think both of us can kind of riff on and kind of feel out uh, how this dynamic's going to go. And uh, that topic is Max Shaler and Rosantemont. Rosantemont. Yep. And I know you've touched on this in some past podcasts, so it might not be a completely new idea. Yeah, so uh, Jake and I were talking today after class. Um, he's in my ecclesiology class, and you're taking what with Mike? Uh, Luke and Acts. Father Mike, Luke Acts, yeah. So he said, what do you I think survived, about... I survived his Greek class already. Yeah, exactly. So you, uh, he was saying, uh, what do you think about this topic? And I was like, God, I got I to gotta make sure. Uh, have I done this? Because uh, this is a work that I really love. And uh, so we did a quick Google search. And five years ago, we did one called Kristen's Resentment, which is really a study of Kristen Lavern's daughter, the story by um, Sigurd Unstedt, the great novel. Uh, and we talked a little bit about Shaler, but we didn't really go into it much. So uh, we are full bore and ready to go on this topic. I've got a tangent back a little bit to banter before that, because okay. I just realized uh, I hadn't listened to the podcast for probably five or six years at this point. Um especially once I started hanging out with you guys uh, during summers after college. It gets weird. It was kind of weird Yeah, uh, hearing you guys on the, like, do we have that conversation or yeah. was that on the podcast? And um, so I kind of stopped listening. I listened back to the two announcement podcasts just so I would be kind of aware of what you guys had said. Uh, but I don't think I'd listened since probably 2014 or so. Oh, man. So I was thinking <laughs> about that with topics. How many am I going to come up with? And yeah. it's going to be like, no, nah, we did that two years ago. No, nah, that was three years ago. So... We'll see what happens. Well, it's all it's all recycled, and um, I think Mike and I we record and we're like, didn't we already do this like five times? And I remember Father Greg Peterson, another brother companion of ours, I said to him one time, uh, and this is classic Peterson. He said, um, he said, what's your topic? And I said, anima technica vacua, which is this phrase from Baltimore. And He goes, haven't you done like six podcasts on that already? And I was like, yeah, basically. So yeah. well, it works. So Max Shaler on his work was on Tamont. I find this one really interesting. Um, I think uh, Max Scheler's a phenomenologist, so he tries to explore the phenomena of uh, human experience, uh, what, what an experience is at its core, kind of, uh, is the idea. And Rosentiment is um, an idea Nietzsche first presented in, uh, in his um, development of uh, morals, right? Mm-hmm. That's right, genealogy of morals. Uh, genealogy of morals. And Scheler kind of takes his insight uh, and at this time, Scheller's Catholic, and so he tries to baptize it because he thinks the insight's really powerful. Uh, and it's all about value inversion, how um, we can form values uh, from this place of, I guess, victimhood or this place of uh, impotence. And Nietzsche really places that on the Christians. And he says, 
the Christian is the one who uh, is weak, who isn't able to um, uphold the values of the kind of the the great Greek heroes, and so because he's weak, he must now uh, he begins to hate the value that he can't possess, and in the hating of the value, the final kind of turn because uh, at first you desire it and then you can't have it, and so you hate it, and the final the final turn is to call it not a value and the opposite of value. So he talks about humility uh, just being um, the inability to, to um, or the, the opposite of pride or, or strength. He talks about obedience uh, as being the inability to, or the, the necessity to follow, basically. And uh, Shaler says, actually, no. Rosantemont, the, the experience of value inversion is absolutely true, absolutely real. But he places it in kind of the uh, 19th century humanist project or the post, um, post-Renaissance post humanism project. And this resentment of values uh, comes from the impotence of, of this humanism that has replaced, uh, replaced God with man. Um, so I don't know if you want to... Yeah, I, I think that, uh, well, first off, this is... Uh, people might be asking themselves, I'm not really familiar with Shaler, I'm not familiar a little bit familiar with Nietzsche, but why does this matter? Nietzsche thinks that the Christian claim that we see in Paul, which is rooted in obviously Christ himself, when Paul says, uh, when I'm weak, that is when I'm strong. That is just the fundamental absurdity. He sees Christ undoing the will to power, which for Nietzsche is the logic of everything. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, Nietzsche will see that as the source of resentment. And he'll have that line that the whole, this whole essay is built on, responding to Nietzsche's claim, Christian love is the most delicate flower of resentment. Mm -hmm. So the whole way that we understand uh, love as impoverishment, loving out of weakness, all the things that we've been talking about over the years and that any Christian kind of versed in, in, again, Pauline literature or just the tradition in general would see and say, uh, yeah, this is is part and parcel to the Christian paradox, Nietzsche says, this, he explodes it, and this is Nietzsche's kind of the architect of the world we're living in right now in many ways. Yeah, and um, I think what I find so interesting about this insight of both Nietzsche and, and Scheller is how it's played out in the way we um, the way we interact, the way we seek power. I mean, Nietzsche's all about the will to power, and I find it really interesting that uh, many people uh, individually and groups collective find a vocal power in in their communities or in in their cities or in their politic based on being kind of the victim mm-hmm. there's kind of a, a victimization mentality where uh, if I um, am a victim now I have I get to shout you down I get to tell you you're wrong I get to tell you you don't get to talk you don't have a voice because I'm the victim to you for whatever reason it may be and so victimhood's now an avenue to power, yeah. uh, which is, I think, the fruit of this this value delusion that uh, Scheller has talked about, and we're seeing that uh, culturally now um, on an individual and a, and a cultural level. And and the thing is, it's not just like, oh, us versus them, us Catholics have it right, and, and the world is wrong. I mean, this is in Catholicism. There's victim mentality with, within our church, within ourselves. Um, 
in a homily you gave recently, uh, maybe a month or so ago, uh, you told us in seminary, like, you are not a victim of the system. Yeah. Like, <laughs> take take some ownership. Take some, I mean, on the flip side, we've got kind of the, the Jordan Peterson effect going, and, and people are responding to this message of you can actually take agency right. over your life. Yeah. Yeah, the um, victimhood as a means, as a platform for power, I mean, this is just what we're seeing everywhere. Um, cancel culture, for example, which is kind of a which is symptomatic of a, of a growing totalitarianism. Like this is we've seen canceling before. Get Father Gregory Choke, your formator, who's from Poland, who lived through communism. Like, just get him talking about when you start canceling, when you start killing people, yeah, killing reputations. You can't say this. Everybody lives in fear. It's like yeah, we've seen this before. Um, and so that's the irony is that we that postmodern man loves Nietzsche, but there it's like we're using victimhood to empower us, uh, and that's not the victimhood of Christ. The victimhood of Christ is united with His priesthood, uh, which is this perfect self offering to the Father, uh, and it involves that He does die. He expiates our sin, right? He atones for everything, uh, but it's a totally different meaning and we've lost that like you said uh, yeah i was thinking about this exact thing on uh, the feast of the exaltation of the cross we have we celebrate the cross because the cross is is the altar where christ as priest laid down his offering of himself entirely completely for the salvation of the world and we exalt that so the cross which was a sign of shame a sign of uh, power of the romans over the rest of the world became the sign of victory for the christian and now that victimhood, we, we, have a, we have a value inversion. We have a resentment of the, Christ's own victimhood where now Christ who said, I came not to serve, but uh, I came not to be served, but to serve, to lay my life down for the other. And he says, there's no greater love than this than to lay your life down for another, right? Um, his victimhood was a complete expiation, as you said, now victimhood is for the sake of power. It's not, it's not to lay yourself down for the other. I'm becoming a victim for my own advancement. And so there's even this, this inversion of the sense of victimhood. Because as Christians, we should accept uh, when it comes, but we don't live out of this place of thinking we're victims. Right. And, and I think that's, the, that's the, the challenge. My aunt one time, I was talking to her about this, and, and she just goes, I mean, up to this point, I really haven't experienced persecution in my life in the U S you know, <laughs> and, and it might be coming and, and we do experience it in certain ways, but I think of, uh, Walter Chiswick in, in he leadeth me who who's in the gulag yeah. and he has to abandon himself. Um, he was a victim. He was a victim of the communist bloc as he was a missionary to the Catholics in Russia, uh, under communism. And he learned to just kind of accept in Providence, everything that came each day, not, he wasn't complaining. I mean, even at the beginning, he kind of was. He was complaining about his victimhood at the hand of, of the Gestapo, or not the Gestapo, the, uh, the, the Gulag. Um, but in the end, he realizes that he's entering into Christ's mission hmm. as Christ has offered it to him. And that's, that's through this outpouring of self. Um, and I, I just think that's a remedy for so much of, of the, even, even what's going on in our church where we're kind of fighting each other. Yeah, and if, if you can't see this now, um, if you start to approach the question of power, we were talking in um, Ecclesiology today about authority and how authority is the sticking point for 
uh, a lot of people at the Catholic Church that we the the audacity of the church to claim authority the authority of Christ that's given but um, without some kind of divinely given authority in a kind of closed world where there is no transcendence where there is no divine which is the secular world we're living in then it's power and it's interesting because the same coffee shop in Crested Butte where I've been going for 25 years um, rumors has anti-Russia stuff, right? Which we almost podcasted on this, but it was probably good we waited, we waited because I was like, bro, I don't, I don't actually have anything to contribute on this yet. Hopefully, um, which you know, we obviously support the Ukraine and and see the atrocity here. But then right next to it is the is all of the gender ideology and everything like that. So it's just like this funny thing of like hating the kind of autocratic will to power on an international political level, but then using the same tactics to undermine the Judeo-Christian tradition, which is what's happening part and parcel all over the country right now. Yeah, and it falls back onto that that kind of humanistic project that that's detached from a, a true Christian humanism, a Christian anthropology, where man is created in, in God's image. Uh, man has a destiny and an end in God. Once that's removed, uh, what's, our, what's our common heritage what's our commonality well we're we're human we're man um okay what's that mean we enter into social contracts okay so where does the power come from where does the authority come from where does the structure come from it's idea it's law but in the end it circles back on man we have this paradisal desire we want to create a utopia and yet every time we see this utopian narrative usually atrocity follows. Yeah. And it's not this, oh, we, we can't live together forever, so just accept war, accept, you know, accept sin, accept everything that's terrible in the world. We don't want to do that. We, we want to work. Justin Martyr talks about how the Christian is, is the best citizen because he's a pilgrim, but he's loving and living and he's, you know, <laughs> helping economies in this, in this day. He's helping grow cities. He's helping the intellectual project but he's on his way. And it's because he, he knows his end that he's able to love this world without kind of trying to grasp it or distort it to his will. And, uh, that this humanistic project without God, the, the authority falls away and it's the authority of, of, of God, the father who teaches and guides and leads. And, uh, I was reading, um, earlier this year, a work that mentioned without a common father, we can't actually be brothers. And so we talk about this brotherhood of humanity, yeah. but who's the common father? Yeah. It's like in the U.S., we're trying to say, oh, the, our commonality is the Constitution. Just follow the Constitution. Well, if you look at somebody on the left or somebody on the right, they're interpreting the Constitution differently. That's not actually uniting us. Yeah. Yeah, you think of like French Revolution time where fraternité is this great slogan, fraternity, fraternity, but then they're just killing people, right, at the guillotine. Yeah. It's just a, it's an absolute bloodbath. And I was reminded of that line from Dostoevsky and uh, the brothers Karamazov yeah. when Ivan Karamazov confesses to his brother, he says, um, the more I love humanity, the less I love the man in front of me, right? That, that we idealize all of these kind of words, these slogans. Um, and uh, there, was, well, there was a guy uh, just pushing ideology outside of REI. I was just trying to buy a raincoat and... Uh, I didn't end up talking to him, but I was like running through my mind. What am I going to say to this guy? You know, when he's like, do you have time for equality or blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what am I going to say to that? And it's like, I have time for that. I don't have time for ideology though. 
And what we are dealing with in the world that we're living in is that ideology, and this is Jordan Peterson's big on this, this kind of group think of reconstructing our vision of the world and the destiny of man around an idea, whether it's Marx, whether it's Nietzsche, whether it's Freud or whoever, um, this is just everywhere. And the, the Christian kind of fabric of society is getting thinner. But with that goes, like you said, real fraternity, real personal dignity, um, an authentic sense of what love is. These are all kind of things that they, this is the baby with the bathwater that we're tossing out and it's going. And uh, as Christians, we got to, we got to quit being reactive and we got to kind of get ahead here and kind of realize what's happening. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I had a experience outside of the Denver Botanic Gardens, actually. I had, um, there's oftentimes, especially busy times, there's uh, kind of activists for, if there's a cause, it's been there out in front and trying to get signatures and trying to talk to people about stuff. And this particular day, I was heading in there to study for a couple hours, and uh, this this young woman stopped me, and she's got um, a shirt that's clearly for, you know, trans rights stuff. And she, she says, hey, do you have a minute to talk about trans rights? And usually I just kind of say, no, I'm actually, I'm, I got to head in, sorry. But this time I was just kind of inspired to say, I don't have a minute for talking about trans rights, but I'd love to talk about you. Hmm. And I said, who are you? What's your story? Why are you here? And I ended up sat in five minutes with her and the other, the other uh, young man that was with her and, and just encountering that person outside of the ideology. Because if we had entered into Dukes immediately, like, okay, well, I disagree with you. Here's why. Or let me, let me listen to what your ideology is going to say so that I can strengthen, you know, steel man my argument against you. Right. But instead I said, you know, here's by the grace of God, I was like, here's a person and, uh, and I can, I can speak and enter in. And I think I saw, you know, there's kind of a, even a relaxation in them as I was just seeing them as a person. Um, and I, I think that ideology that you mentioned is so, so much of it is built on, um, the will to power, the will to, and, and in that victimhood, even it's, it's just strange. Like I can't even really put it in, in clear terms, but when we get back to the person, uh, the veneer of kind of this battle falls and we actually start to encounter some semblance of that, that common brotherhood again, or, um, yeah, that's, uh, it's beautiful. Um, you're a better man than I am. Uh, I, was I usually, one of many times. Well, I'm <laughs> usually just kind of reloading the revolver uh, when I see him, and and that just doesn't do any good. Yeah. You know, as we were talking about in class today, it's just like winning intellectual arguments is not. It doesn't satisfy, yeah. and it just yeah. Okay, you vanquished your opponent. But well, what's amazing to me too is is when you actually have a dialogue, which means two people talking, yeah. <laughs> or through conversation, uh, or through the logos. Um, you actually start to find that you have some common ground. I think we so easily, it's like, oh, you're wearing a, a trans rights shirt, so we, we can't have anything in common. Um, that's not true. Uh, and that's a lie. And I think actually that's, I think that's satanic in, in our world to keep us divided. Yeah, well said. And, um, you know, just another experience. In, when I was down in Mexico, um, one of the other students that was there uh, was a lesbian woman. And she became one of my best friends down there. And we started talking about a whole bunch of geopolitical topics. And um, she's kind of like old guard, liberal, progressive. And she saw where this kind of 
ideological will to power victim identity politic is going. And she was just like aghast at the, the attacks on freedom of speech and freedom of discourse she sees in the US. Mm. She says, I see it in Europe too. I see it in Great Britain. But in America, she sees it's like this fever pitch right now. And she was appalled that even though she wants to you know, win certain arguments against me um, on certain topics, she was appalled by, by this, this attacking, uh, this um, even value creation of, of, of the world saying, you know, I am right because this reason or because I was a victim or because, um, I mean, you can go down the list of mm-hmm. what it is. And so I'm getting ready to pull the revolver out and I've got, you know, and then all of a sudden we turn topics and like we found common ground on pornography and and the damage that's doing to children and families. We found common ground on a whole list of kind of social political issues, uh, the immigrants, the, I mean, and it, it, it amazed me. And then, you know, for the next three weeks, we're going out on Thursday nights to the, the bar just across the road and just having great conversations. Yeah. And, um, I, I guess that's the, the message that I'd want to share to listeners is, is like when you see this in yourself, when you see yourself kind of putting up the guard, whether you feel attacked, uh, as you know, you want to put up your own victim, um, <laughs> character. Um, just, I remember, remember the other person on the, on the side and, uh, it's, it's hard. Um, usually make more mistakes than, than, uh, victories but uh they used to say about uh gk chesterton and hiller belloc they would walk into the room they'd say the same exact thing and belloc would divide everyone against each other and chesterton would unite and everybody would just kind of love each other and um i think you with father mike and certainly father michael lachlan there's this kind of lineage of the the chesterton type where you can you can disarm uh, I would be more of the Bella and, and Goebel <laughs> definitely would be as well. But um, we all have the project. I mean, it's it's getting difficult to even have conversations. And so we have to be really creative about how we, we kind of reset the conditions for dialogue. Um, and I just love the way you engage that. Um, but there is so much resentment and there's mutual resentment kind of circling back to the topic here. Um, and I want to just unpack that for uh, a little bit about so Shaler is saying value inversion is the source of resentment. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Well, uh, value, value inversion is the result of resentment. So okay. resentment is when, um, well, I've got actually... Uh, and explain why you're saying it in the French. Okay. Yes. The resentment right. is uh, when Nietzsche was coming up with this idea, the German words that translated to our English word resentment... Um, carried too much baggage and connotation. Uh, and so he went to the French, as many philosophers do, for a ambiguous term that he could fill kind of with his own idea. And so Nietzsche started using resentiment uh, to kind of fill a new avenue. So it's not strictly resentment um, where, you know, I, I, I harbor uh, an anger and kind of a frustration that can't be satisfied against mm-hmm. somebody for something they did or said this is this is much deeper this is at the kind of at the core almost subconscious level uh, that the resentment uh, is as Shaler says in his own words a self-poisoning of the mind which has definite causes and consequences um, and it affects uh, your response to the world your response to values 
Um, and he says it's from the repression of emotions and affects that uh, are natural to humans, but can't be satisfied in a true or healthy way. And when those can't be satisfied, they get buried so deep that we begin to hate what we can't have. We begin to hate what we desire. Mm. And that's where we start to do uh, the great turn, the value inversion, where we create a new value that is opposite of what Okay, uh, what that makes sense, have. yeah. And so um, in the end, we you know the emotions typically buried are revenge, hatred, malice, envy, uh, impulses to detract. These, these are the last stage before we bury it in an impotence. And that impotence, the only thing we can do, because I can't have the virtue that I see in Father John that I desire so much. I envy it. I begin to hate it. And then my victory over him comes by saying, actually, you're not better than me for having this. You're worse. Mm-hmm. And you're the weak one. And I'm strong for whatever the contrary would be. Uh, and that's the value inversion. And and Nietzsche saw this as, you know, how morals develop because he thought it was just kind of a a running program. There was no real objective uh, morality for Nietzsche. It was is the will to power, whether it's individual or societal. Um, and I don't know if you have... Yeah, Christian ethics being founded on resentment, I think that's key. Um, you want to, like... If somebody was saying, um, which they never would, of course, but they're like, um, you know, Jake, give me advice for how to live a life of resentment, just full on resentment. <laughs> the, I think one of the practical things we'd say is like, well, just start comparing yourself to everybody. Yeah. Because that's, uh, Shaler points that out of like, uh, and then really dwell on the the woundedness and the hurts mm-hmm. and the, because if you're if you're listening to this and you're saying, I, listen, I was super nice to all the people online today at Whole Foods, and I'm just <laughs> generally just a really great person. And being a Christian just is like the, you know icing on top. It's just, it's just so great. It's like, well, okay. Have you ever had a repeat a moment when you felt repeated experience and reliving of a particular emotional response reacting against somebody else? That is the definition of resentment. Re resentiment, right? Just I'm refeeling something. And uh, when we're attentive to the interior life, we see triggers all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, something gets triggered. My guy, one of my guys here in the house, says something to me, and automatically I'm just complete. I, I, I completely overreact. It probably wasn't about what he said. It's probably about something that happened that I'm reliving yeah. inside of me in my heart, right? Um, and as you said earlier, like when you live in resentment the repeated experiences get more and more um, agitated. They get more intensified uh, and they get deeper in us. Yeah. Um, the, the continual reliving of the emotion sinks it more deeply into the center of personality. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in my brother's bar yesterday having a, a, a pint because I had to grade midterm papers and uh, it was just the way I could co uh, That's another word. <laughs> this is when go, go on rap. Give me crap. Um, well, it's a new era. It's a new era. No crap tonight. No crap. When I was trying to convince myself to do this, so I um, went out for a beer, and this couple was sitting next to me, and I just I could not believe. I was trying not to pay attention, and I was trying not to judge, but it was just like, I just wanted to turn to them and be like, are you listening now? You're talking to each other? Like, It was so, it was like out of a Seinfeld episode. It was so crazy. Um, but th- our resentments, if we don't deal with them, 
and I'm no better. I got all kinds of resentments that I'm, I'm dealing with. If we don't, if we don't ever deal with them, they become part of us. They just go deeper and deeper in, into us, and that's that's what's really scary about it. So much so that we we identify ourselves with our resentments, and then we can't live without them because they're so deeply in us. Yeah, the, the identity, the personhood element of it is so interesting because it it makes you or, or creates a character in you uh, that you begin to believe is yourself, and it's really interesting when this this triangulation of desire where um, there's something you desire the object you desire you the desire and then when you become the hindrance to achieving that desire that resentment actually turns against yourself yeah and this character now where you're kind of split um you begin to hate yourself for not achieving or getting or gaining whatever you value or desire and your identity just i mean your 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 cohesion together as a person begins to break uh, on the flip side, when when it's more of this, I see the world through this lens, through a paradigm uh, that I don't realize is because of my resentments and my my emotions constantly being felt. Um, I mean, anytime you're you're out at a restaurant, out walking, and you see somebody and you have the impulse to judge, that's probably a good place to look mm-hmm. at where there might be some resentment building up in you. And, and it could be as simple as, you know, I, I judged a family for being at a, at a dinner table at a restaurant and all their kids had an iPhone or an iPad, you know, and I, I've got this resentment building in me that I was just so frustrated at the world and the way, you know, families are being raised, you know, it's, it's in all of us. And then I started to portray identity onto these parents, yeah. uh, a character onto these parents, um, and so I think it even distorts our, it, it really distorts our personhood, um, which, which gets back to uh, distorting the knowledge of us as sons and daughters of God, right. first and foremost. Um, so then I think the last question I have for you is, how do we come out of this? How do, we get, how do we get out of resentment? Um, really, I, I think St. Joseph, uh, we just celebrated his feast. Um, the docility and the readiness uh, to receive, um, to trust in God. I think for for the world, it's a it's a much bigger conversation um, because this is this is education, this is entrenched ideology that is being spread in um, universities or schools or between friends on social media, and this goes both ways. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here on a Catholic podcast. I'm not just saying. All the ideology is on the left. Uh, you look at a lot of ideology on the right and social media and being shared, and, and we're getting entrenched. And we need to step back and, I think, go into um, almost a detox <laughs> yeah. of, of anger. Like, where you're angry is a really good place to start, I think. And uh, uh, that's, that's something to take to prayer. That's something to take to confession in this season of Lent. Um, because we have to turn our eyes to a responsive of gratitude. Um, and gratitude has been the word on, on my heart for a couple of weeks now where it's um, accepting who I am and who I was created to be and how the world is first to receive. I mean, Father Jim Thermos in, uh, in our, my SY was always talking about receive, receive in gratitude, providence, brother. If we receive reality 
as reality, not filtered. Um, I think that's the only way to kind of get out of this this sense. How to do that? I mean, I, you've you've been out in the uh, the ministerial world a lot longer than me. You see, uh, maybe in the parishes, but uh, I I just offer that receiving as gift um, is an antidote to being angry and resenting. And um, I don't know if that. I think that's right on. Um, gratitude. Uh, I think is the antithesis of resentment. There was a, a wonderful man named Dr. Don Briel passed away several years ago um, from cancer, and uh, Monsignor Shea, uh, president of University of Mary, gave his um, his funeral homily, and in it he dropped this line where he just basically said the, something along the lines of, the fundamental choice of life is between resentment and gratitude. That's it. When you wake up tomorrow... That's what we decide. Do I live in gratitude? Do I live in resentment? I think the, the a lot of this conversation today has been about like acknowledging how much our culture is fueled by resentment. Like we, it's just in us to just interpret our spiritual existence as persons through this lens of of resentment and the whole value inversion, which gets crazy uh, and and destroys us lends itself towards Nietzsche's ultimate conclusion, which is that there is no good and evil. There is no telos. There's no intelligibility to things. Like It's just about instinct. It's about power. And um, so gratitude's the way out, but how do you get to gratitude? Just like you said, receiving reality is a gift again. Uh, you receive that girl in front of botanical gardens as a, as a gift, as, as just something outside of you. And value, there was a value correspondence instead of an inversion that said, I just need to be receptive and attentive to this person. And uh, that's hidden into the logic of love. And that, that's what moves to where you can share this on a podcast and actually be grateful for it. So Yeah, I think uh, Chesterton's got, I, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, anecdotal story, but uh, I believe he entered an essay contest, and the prompt was, "What is wrong with the world?" And all he submitted was, "Dear sir, I am." I am. Yeah. And uh, and I think that goes back to I mean we we I think as Gandhi said, "Be the change you want to see in the world." And so you can think of a, a lot of a lot of different characters. Um, Mother Teresa, go home, find the Calcutta in your backyard, love mm -hmm. your family. Yeah. Um, this wisdom, this this is human wisdom. It's divine wisdom as well, but it's human wisdom. And listening to that again, seeing where, you know, am I always complaining about uh, inflation and taxes or am I complaining about the, the bigoted, you know, uh, racist or whatever it may be? Where am I angry? And is this resentment, uh, you know, there is injustice. There are true victims in the world. Um, but real victimhood versus kind of a victim mindset is very different. Absolutely. Uh, and if you can acknowledge where you uh, have both a victim mindset and also where you're just harboring and carrying this anger or this jealousy or this vengeance, whatever it might be, uh, those are the places to, to look and dig um, to kind of root this out because it's in us. It's in the culture. It's, it, it, I was amazed when, when I got to seminary and I got into the silence of spirituality year, one of the things that shocked me the most was realizing how much I had picked up from just my cultural milieu as I, as I grew up in the suburbs of Denver, Colorado. You know, I learned what the world was teaching me and I took it for absolute truth. And then all of a sudden I'm encountering 
the divine truth in, in silence. And I realized, wow, my particular upbringing wasn't the sum of reality. And, uh, and there's conversion to happen in all of us everywhere. Well said. Um, and well done tonight. Off to a good start. That was way better than the first 100 and 200 podcasts I ever did. So um, I do have a bit of experience. I was on the uh, Sons of Ours. Sons of Ours podcast. Seminary Check podcast. it out. Check I, it out. Um, Still going. Stepped away from that one and uh, took a pay cut to yes. come here. Yes, you did. You definitely uh, back down to the minor leagues here. So... Well, Jacob, good to uh, good to have you, brother. Um, we're going to come back with another episode. It might not be uh, published in the following week. We got to kind of figure that out with the other stuff. But um, it's going we're going to kind of continue on this topic with a couple different ideas. But uh, this is a great one. This is a deep one. So yeah, good choice, it. brother. I'm glad uh, glad we're going. Hope to keep rolling, and hopefully the listeners uh, forgive me uh, the. Uh, upstart problems or whatever might come come our way we're gonna onboard him for uh, a couple months to, but uh no they're gonna be happy to hear yeah. somebody else uh <laughs> talking other than father mike and i so it was pretty funny i have uh i had friends who knew that i knew you guys texting me asking hey what's going on with the podcast what's going on with the podcast uh i've told well two people outside of the companions that i was going to be doing this so um yeah, I think <laughs> it's going to be fun to see what happens. That's great. Well, we look forward to that. You got any shout-outs before we close? I would shout-out Leah and Cody, you know, getting married, entering into the Ziga. into that beautiful, beautiful sacrament of marriage. And, uh, yeah. I'd like to shout-out Brenda and Troy Canella. I don't know if uh, Troy listens, but Brenda certainly does. And uh, she works in the Archdiocese, and she's just been a great friend. Um of the companions great friend of the podcast uh and uh, long-time listeners so thanks to brenda and um yeah let's yeah. uh close her up one last oh, one. Yeah, go shout for out it. nick and mary mary the podcast is back okay and i'm on it and you're on it so and nick 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 and mary nick and mary okay good friends from college excellent all right here we go we're going to close it up and uh, we'll be back shortly catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week